Welcome to the RC Plane Lab Podcast. I'm Ron. And I'm Tom. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about how to store airplanes. Uh, I'm also going to talk about how I think I'm cursed due to a recent problem I had charging a battery. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, we're going, and we're going to be reading and answering some listener questions. Uh, yes. Don't forget to head on over to our website, rcplanelab.com. Click on the shop button and get some really cool RC Plane Lab merchandise. And uh, also, while you're there, don't forget to sign up for our mailing list. Uh, mm-hmm. So uh, I'm ready to get started. Are you, Tom? I am. So storing airplanes. We've talked a little bit before about what to do like with batteries and, and, and that before you're getting ready to put your airplane away uh, mm-hmm. and store it for either a short amount of time or a long period of time. Um, right. So I'd like to cover that just a little bit again. Uh, but I also want to talk about how do you physically store your airplanes? Um, oh, you know, yeah. do you hang them from the wall? Do you hang them from the ceiling? You know, what, what do you do and, and how do you... Uh, make sure they're ready for the next time you're ready to fly, and mm-hmm. how do you make sure that uh, you don't mess them up? You know, just when you're storing them. So yeah. l- let's start yeah. with you. What do you do? Oh well, so I have a pretty small area that I work out of, uh, and I'm constantly finding new and um, innovative, if you will, ways to store the airplanes. <laughs> uh, so I'm I'm in the basement of my house, and and this is my shop and my also my storage area. So I try to store the airplanes uh, neatly, number one, because I don't want to be causing, you know, the infamous hangar rash. And hangar rash, if you don't know the term, it's uh, dents and dings and holes in monocoat that are not caused by flying. It's usually caused by running into it with something in the storage area or hangar. <laughs> so, therefore, hangar rash. But, uh, you know, you just you just sort of have to come up with, with what, what space you have and what is the most convenient for you? And myself, I, I sort of built a little like a wing and fuselage rack that I sort of stood up against one of the walls with shelf brackets on it that are lined with uh, foam. And I just simply rest the airframes on that foam, on those foam brackets, you know, kind of um, laced together, if you will, so that they're out of the way. Uh, there's no chance of them getting hit by anything. And m- most importantly, um, well, maybe not most importantly, but importantly, is they're off of the landing gear. Um, out of round wheels are like one of my major pet peeves. And <laughs> you can avoid that. You can avoid getting out of round wheels by not storing them on their gear, like not letting them rest on their wheels, especially over over winter. With the, with the foam wheels, they'll tend to develop flat spots. And that's annoying to me, especially if you're flying off of a paved runway. It You know, that that noise they make and it, yeah, it's just irritating. <laughs> so I try to store them such that they're off the gear and you know, anything that they're sitting on or suspended from it's cushioned in some way. You know, I like the, you know, Monocoat 
over balsa. Balsa is pretty soft, right? So it, it, it takes impressions pretty easily. Even with monocoat on top, it's, it's not actually very hard to put a dent in monocoat covered balsa. So anything that you use to suspend your model or, or rest on or rest it on should be padded somehow. So on the airplanes that I have sitting on brackets, the brackets are, you know, I've taken pipe insulation and kind of split it and glued it over the, the brackets so that the airplanes are sitting on foam. So it's nice and soft and cushiony. It's not going to make a dent in the, in the airframe. And so that's my wing and fuselage rack. Um, everywhere else here in the basement, um, they're suspended from the ceiling. Uh, and they're suspended by a, a fairly lightweight uh, nylon rope. And everywhere that rope contacts the airplane, well, I shouldn't say everywhere, everywhere that weight is going to be bearing against that, that rope, I either have a rag or some kind of foam or something so that that rope is not digging into the airframe, <clears throat> excuse me, digging into the airframe and causing a, you know, a dent or a mark or whatever. So, so that's sort of how I store my airplanes. I, I don't like kicking them around on the floor and things like that, just simply because I don't have space for it. Now, some folks, you know, they have whole rooms dedicated to their airplanes and they can, uh -huh. you know, they can rest them on the floor. And some places, like some friends of mine, you know, have enough space to actually not even have to take the wings off their airplanes and they can store them right there on the floor or on a pool table or whatever. And if you do it that way, that's fine. <laughs> Just if you can, make it so that the wheels aren't bearing the weight of the airplane over the winter because they'll develop flat spots and that really annoys me. Yeah, I learned that the hard way actually um, from you because uh, I had an airplane <laughs> that uh, that I had gotten. It was sitting out for quite a while and I had no clue that the wheels would get flat spots in them, you know, and so I'm I'm pulling it out of, uh, I don't remember where it was sitting, but I, I was pulling it back out of there and it was just doing the thump, 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 thump. Mm -hmm. And you're like, did mm -hmm. you store that with the wheels See? on the ground? I was like, yep. yeah, why, why not? And you told me that's why they go out around from, from the weight sitting on them. So yeah, I don't do that anymore. Um, <laughs> I, I'm kind of in the, I'm kind of in the same realm, I guess, as you with the, with the racks and all, and all that stuff that I use to, to store. Yep. Um, and, and you're right with the, the pipe wrap. I think you can usually buy it in like uh what, three foot sections or something like that. And I just cut it down to the length I need. Um, yeah. some and of yeah, the smaller just, stuff you can get in like 50 foot, you know, bulk, you know, rolls of it. And I think that's what I, what I used when I built my, when I built my rack here is I think I just bought a roll of it. And oh, really? I, I still have some here. Yeah, there it is over there. So, um, well, the stuff actually, I, this, the, is, this is the self-adhesive stuff that I have. It's actually not round. It's in a wide, flat strip. Oh, okay. You can, you can wrap pipes with it because it's self-adhesive. Well, the stuff I, I have, used. the stuff I have is round, um, okay. and it has the whole. Yeah, it almost too. looks like a like a smaller pool noodle. You know, it might yeah. be two inches wide altogether, mm -hmm. and then it already has a slit in it, so that you don't oh, have okay. to worry about trying to slit it. Um, yeah. And then the stuff mm -hmm. I bought actually has a, a double-sided tape in that slit, to where you can pull the the, the face of that off. And then mm -hmm. kind of stick it to what it's actually sticking on. So the yeah. the rack uh, system that I have that's actually stuck to it, and that way it doesn't come off when you pull your airplanes off. And yeah, that works mm -hmm. really well. I just have them, yeah. uh, you know, screwed to the the two by fours in the wall. That way nothing's going to fall. And I yeah. I am the same as you. I, I use the rafters, you know, in the un, mm -hmm. unfinished part of the basement where I store them. Um, right. And some of the smaller yeah. planes and, and wings will fit up inside the rafters, and that gives you a little bit of extra height too. Sure. Um, but I use, instead of like rags and stuff, I use a, a thicker wire. 
uh, well, not wire, a thicker rope. That way it's not, ha- it doesn't have so much pressure on that one single point. Um, and the airplanes I, I have <laughs> I hanging up there are light enough, you know, to where yeah. I don't have to worry about that. So, Well, um, I, I laugh because I, I would like to use the thicker rope because I know exactly what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm not very good at tying knots, and knots that I tie <laughs> tend to come untied. <laughs> so the thinner rope, I can actually tie a knot, and then I take a lighter and burn the ends and make sure that it doesn't come untied. Um, but yeah, 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 the thicker rope is is probably a better better idea than what I do. But all the stuff I have is sufficiently padded, and I learned that lesson the hard way. You know, pad, <laughs> pad that thin rope. I have an airplane. Uh, looking at it right now, one of my little foamies has got a. You know, a rope mark around it looks like it's been, you know, you know, tried to sever with a rope or whatever. But I I did (laughs) want to make a note about, um, so, like, I I also try to store my airplanes such that the ones I fly maybe the most often are the ones that are easiest to get in and out. Yeah, that's a good idea. So, like, Mm -hmm. yeah, so, like, airplanes that I know I'm going to be storing for a fairly lengthy time, I'll store them such that they're really out of the way and maybe a little less convenient to get out, but which is okay because I don't get them out that often anyway. So your storage solution, whatever that is, should take that sort of thing into account. You know, your most frequent or favorite flyers ought to be the most accessible. Yeah, and that makes complete sense. You want to be able to get to what you need quickly so you can go out and and get to the field as fast as possible after work. Yes, with a minimum amount of hangar rash. Exactly. And speaking of knots, so I guess I'll admit, I don't know how to tie knots very well either. So <laughs> next time you're over, you'll have to come back and, and actually look at the knots I have because they're quite embarrassing. I know one knot, and I just tie that knot like over and over and over again to make sure it doesn't work. So, so well, some I guarantee of the knots you, I, I will not critique your knots. Oh, See what I did there? Oh, I did. That's That's bad. I'm but sorry. Some, some of the knots I, I have, some of the knots I have are literally two to three inches long, just over and over and over <laughs> tied. Hey, as long as it doesn't come untied, I, I will not. I will not poke fun of you or poke fun oh. at you because I cannot tie a knot. So. And then most of the time, just to make sure that it doesn't come undone, I also take the torch to it, melt it a little bit, and then just kind of push it together. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> oh, boy. That's embarrassing. But, yeah. Well, because so what I, would I be worse? I mean, what would be worse than for an airplane to fall from the rafters and crash because a knot came undone? You know, well, that would just be awful. I, you know, it's so easy, I guess, to get online and look up how to tie a knot. I don't know. I never thought about doing that. Mm. But uh, I, I guess I'm just calling myself out. So if you see them, feel free to make fun of me. They are not pretty, <laughs> not pretty, but they I will hold it. an airplane yeah. up. And okay. I did it too. So I, I not pretty, whatever. Anyway. So, <laughs> uh, so, so when you store your airplanes, um, yes. Is there anything special you're supposed to do, like with receiver pack batteries, like the NIMH batteries? Right. So in the battery episode, we we talked about that. Um, you should definitely... So uh, as you said uh, back in that episode, you know, the NIMHs tend to self-discharge. And of all the types of batteries, they were like the worst. Remember? Correct. Yep. I, yeah, I, I do kind of remember. Yeah. So <laughs> It's been um, a while ago, but I remember. <laughs> I, I know. Uh so on your on your NIMH and and your NICADs too, if you're still using those, um, you really ought to peak them 
occasionally, like throughout the winter or, or the storage or whatever. Um, you ought to pull those batteries out of the airplanes, which I would do when you put them in storage anyway, and then label them like as to which airplane they came out of. So you have a quick handy reference when you go to put them all back in, you know, in the spring. Um, but while they're out of the airplane and maybe put them someplace convenient and especially the NIMHs, you know, give them a peek, you know, once a month, once every other month or whatever, just to try to keep them topped off. They, I've, I've seen some guys that, that say, no, you don't have to do that. But then, you know, I, I tend to think if you keep them peaked, um, they don't do that self-discharge thing, number one. And they don't, even though they say they don't develop memories, you're not going to reduce the life of the battery by letting it self-discharge to almost nothing and then try to bring it up again. And, I mean, we can get into a whole long conversation about uh, formation charges and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, maybe someday we'll, we'll get into that. But um, it's just me, me personally and my experience has been that if I keep them topped off throughout the winter, they, they serve me better the following season. Um, so that's what I do with that. And uh, nickel cadmiums, I, I, I sort of treat them the same way, even though they don't self-discharge as, as bad. Um, I do uh, try to repeak those periodically throughout the storage season, whatever that is. So that's what I do. I, you know, Ideally, I pull all the batteries out, and usually they're already <laughs> labeled because I pulled them out the last season. Um, but if they're not labeled, I'll label which airplane they came out of, and then I'll put them in a convenient place uh, where I will see them, where they will remind me, hey, we're over here, give us a charge, um, so that I can do that in the off-season. Now, like we talked about, you know, with the um, lithium-type batteries, well, specifically lithium polymers, uh, those, do you want to talk about that? Because you're really kind of more knowledgeable on the newer battery technology than I am. Well, for those, the and I, I don't remember the exact, I think it's 3.8 or 3.85 volts of cells, what you're supposed to take them down to. Um, so, you know, I don't want to get into it again too much. Um, but when you're not flying, when you're going to be storing those batteries for a long time, um, taking them down to their storage charge, and most of these chargers will do that. That's going to have a, a setting on there to take it to a storage charge. Uh, right. And it'll discharge it down and make sure it's balanced, you know, right uh, correctly at the right uh, right voltage. Um, mm-hmm. That way, it doesn't kind of eat itself and 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 uh, and degrade itself so quickly. Um, so keep them at storage charge when you're not going to use it for a long time. Now, I I will admit I I don't necessarily do that unless it's going to be like a winter time kind of thing where they're sitting over the winter. Um, right. Most of the batteries I have that I I use. Um, that I use decent amount of time, you know, that I use often, um, yeah. will end up just, I keep them fully charged when I get you know, when I drain it, I go ahead and I just charge it up. So it's ready for the next time. Um, you know, batteries really are, are kind of cheap enough to where if I, if I'm taking even 50 charges off of it by, by storing it, you know, for shorter amounts of time at a full charge, I'm okay with that. Um, I would rather have them ready to go when I'm ready to go than me wait on, or then have me wait on charging them and, and getting them ready when I'm ready to go fly. Um, yeah. Yep. That, that's kind of how I feel too. There's best practices on how to make your batteries last a long time, but they don't necessarily line up, or they don't necessarily line up with making it to where you can fly when you want to fly. So there's you know there's there's pros and cons of doing it both ways, but I, I usually just keep mine fully charged, ready to go. 
except for during the winter time. Um, so that that's how I how I store those. And then most of the time too, I, I like I said before, I keep mine in the refrigerator. Um, <laughs> low low humidity and a cooler temperature is where you're supposed to store those. So mine are in the fridge waiting for me whenever it's it's time to go out and fly. My my but, basement's fairly fairly cold and and dry, so. I don't put them in the fridge, but they are in a in a cool, dry environment. So I think I'm okay with that. <laughs> well, yeah, and you are. And if I didn't have the extra refrigerator out in the garage, I would not do that either. You know, I don't put it in a refrigerator that we use every day. So it's right. not, like I said, it's not stored with the broccoli or anything like that. It's <laughs> it's in its own little, it's tote and stuff out in that but garage. So, But you don't eat broccoli. Fridge. Yes, I do. I love broccoli, especially in General So's chicken. Oh my gosh, that's so good! Oh, that is that is pretty tasty. <laughs> All right. Anyway, so we could, yeah. That's, so our next our next episode, what Ron likes in his General So's chicken. Oh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> maybe of course carrots. So that's uh, that's what I do oh, with batteries. Now my my um, lithium ions, my A one two threes, whatever you want to call those, um, those I just you know. When I'm done flying them, you know, the last flight of the season or whatever, and I come home and I'm putting the airplane away, I'll go ahead and top them off, and I don't have to mess with them again until the next season. That's why I'm such a big fan of those batteries. They're just, they're almost foolproof, if I could say that. Um, Just make sure it doesn't bite you. But, yeah, almost foolproof. There you go. <laughs> I said almost. Yeah. I didn't say they were. I mean, I'm a <laughs> fool, and they haven't bit me yet, so almost That's true. foolproof. Not yet. Um and then, so. so, I mean, that, that's, you know, you take the batteries out and, and store them how you're going to store them uh, in the refrigerator, in the refrigerator, or, you know, however you do that. Um, and then I give, me personally, I, uh, I'll give the engines, you know, one final run, usually the last flight of the season, or if I haven't flown that airplane at all this season, I'll just uh, treat it as if it had already been ran. Uh, Ran all, you know, run all the fuel out of it, obviously, just like you would at the field at the end of the day. Uh, and then I just, uh, I lube them up real good. You know, I've got that uh, mix that I use as after run oil. Uh, it's no great secret, 50-50 trans fluid and uh, Marvel mystery oil. Um, and I give them a good uh, dousing with that in the, through the carburetor and some through the uh, glow plug hole. And flip it over a few times and then wad up a, a paper towel and plug the exhaust with it and close the throttle and that's it'll be good till spring yeah so there's there's not too much to to getting them ready for the next year then you know there's it's a little bit of time but by taking care of them you're going to make them last longer and by storing them right. correctly you know and not not having the um not leaving the lines on it from your racks or from your from your rope then you right. really can't tell that they've been stored and how they've been stored because you're not leaving any marks on them and that's that's the end exactly. goal you know you want to keep and them running the as long as you exactly. can yep Yep. So, uh, anything else you want to cover on storage? No, that's uh, that. That pretty much covers how how I store my airplanes. Just a couple of key things, you know. Don't don't let them rest on the gear unless you don't mind flat spots on your wheels. In which case, if I see them, I'll make fun of you. And uh, <laughs> you know, lube the engines and take care of the batteries. I mean, it's it's pretty simple. Yeah, there's not too much to it. So. Just keep them flying as long as you can and, and keep them in your hangar as, uh, as organized as possible and keep them clean. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so let's move on to uh, my cursed battery story. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm actually, uh, I actually am excited to hear about this. Yeah, so, um, okay, I swear, I think somebody's made a voodoo doll of me and somehow <laughs> brought me some bad luck. <laughs> okay. <laughs> 
Somebody has brought Ron some bad juju. Yes, thanks, whoever you are. So, I, you know, I've been charging batteries for years and never yeah, had yeah. a problem. Yeah, I feel never like had you, a problem. you know what you're doing, yeah. I do, too. Um, mm-hmm. But apparently, I'm cursed. So, <laughs> you know, like actually, it's, it's a little bit scary. because Because between the problem I had, you know, if you remember the... Um, uh, the charging lipos for that small quadcopter a few weeks ago, and what happened yes. a couple of days ago, like it's it's scary because I've never had problems with batteries before. So, so here's my story, and okay. I you know I haven't told you about this yet, so maybe you can tell me what I did wrong. Uh, although I don't think I made any mistakes, but maybe you can pick up on something. So, oh, so if I spot go. something you did wrong, trust me, I'm gonna tell you. <laughs> <laughs> so. So okay, so I started going through that uh, that trainer plane I have. This is the one I, I mm-hmm. talked about needing to go over, you know, several episodes ago, so that we can take right. it out to the field. Yep. Uh, because one of my son's buddies wants to learn how to fly. Uh, which, by the way, I still feel really bad that we haven't been able to go out there. Uh, because Cody, that's that's my my son. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, he asked me back in the beginning of March if we could teach his friend to fly, and I, I told him, sure. You know, we'll go out once it warms up. I never imagined we would I be know. going through all of this right now. I know. Um, but but anyway, so I, I got a bit derailed. Um, it's okay. So I, I saw the plane still had a battery in it, so I put it uh, I put it on the charger to cycle it a few times. You know, like um, actually, hold on, I'm gonna derail myself again. So, how do you charge the batteries that are in your airplanes? We just talked about you know, you store them, you take them out of your airplanes. But do you have any that you keep in your airplanes? And and like the reason I ask, so. Do you have any extensions, or do you keep like the airplane close to the charger? So I I have a couple of uh, I think it's like eight or nine foot extension cords that I cut the ends off of and I put Dean plugs on, and it really like makes it easy to charge airplanes from far away. Um, mm. Like I can put the airplane on the floor and easily mm-hmm. reach it with a charger when it's on the workbench. Um, yeah. So I made I I think I made those like a few years ago so I could charge planes when we were at the field with a charger hooked up to the car battery and I didn't have a long enough cord to be able to charge from there. Um but I mean like I figure it's only a couple amps so the size wire and extension cords should work perfect and not mess or not mess with anything. Um you know is that how you do it or how do you charge a battery when it's still in the plane? So full disclosure, I am terrible about removing batteries from airplanes when I put them in storage. <laughs> I mean, I know, okay. I know, I know. I'm I'm a hypocrite. I tell you to do one thing and and I don't do it myself. And <laughs> on airplanes where it's convenient for me to pull the batteries out, I do. Okay. Sure. I'm not I'm not going to say I leave them in every airplane I own, but there are some airplanes for, you know, for balance reasons or or what have you, they're located in an in a spot in the airplane that maybe is not the easiest to get to or to get the battery out of. So full disclosure, I, I do have airplanes that the batteries are semi-permanently installed in the airplane. However, yeah. um, they are, I do unplug them, obviously. Uh, and I do, uh, when I, when I charge my, my loose batteries, we'll call them loose batteries. That's the batteries I pull out and put on my bench here to, you know, to remind me to charge them. When I'm going through the process of charging those batteries, I will also go through my uh, airplanes that still have batteries in them and charge those as well. So, yes, full disclosure, I don't pull all my batteries out. And good or bad, 
it is what it is. But when I charge them, I don't, I don't use extensions. I don't, uh, I don't do any of that. So, um, I have a little table kind of in the middle of our basement that my wife is nice enough to let me use, uh, in that area of the basement. Um, and I'll run my extension cord out to my, I have an AC DC charger that works off of DC or AC, uh, plug the charger into my, um, extension cord, three prong. Okay. Um, and I'll use a standard length charge cord, either, you know, whether, whether it's a Dean's plug or a JST plug or the, um, if it's an XT, you know, whatever it is, it's a fairly standard length. I haven't made additional extensions to get to it. So I'll place the charger close to the airplane so I don't have to, you know, use an extension or maybe I, maybe, you know, it just has to be close to the airplane because the lead isn't long. Um, and that's, and that's, and I take the airplane out there and I put it on my cool little, uh, Robart foam cradle. And that's how I charge them when they're in the airplane. So I know I don't, I don't use extensions or anything like that. Is there a reason you don't or? The reason I don't use extensions? Yeah. Uh, to, to be honest, no, not really. Um, laziness maybe i just don't feel like making an extension <laughs> probably i mean that's okay. probably the real reason um but i think in the back of my head uh maybe maybe a long time ago something happened with plugging something into an extension and the resistance i mean granted we're not pushing a lot of amperage or current through the the charge cord hopefully you're not with your receiver batteries um so, you know, the extra resistance of the wire is probably not an issue. But in my head, maybe something happened way back when where I may have melted a cord because I was pushing too much current through it and it was resistance was causing the heat. And um, it may or may not have caught on fire. I don't know. It's, it's an old memory. Um, and I, <laughs> so for that reason, I don't, I don't do that, if that makes sense. Well, I say that a lot, but. Yeah, I, I I guess. I mean, I'm trying I, I to I'm trying to explain it so that it makes sense in in when I say it out loud, and I hope it makes sense like the well, way I explained it. Sure, I just wanted to make sure there's not something wrong with the way I'm doing it because I'm you know I'm pushing it most when I charge you know an amp through it something like that, and that's yeah I'm that's not about, worried. Yeah, I'm not yeah, worried that, about voltage drop or anything like that. Uh, you know, for something so five volts or whatever it is at, at one. Well, amp. I think. I think my biggest concern is, is maybe not so much the, the current that's going to the battery so much as what the what the charger is reading, what the battery is telling it, if that is clear. Like, so as you're charging, oh, okay. you know. No, I, the, I understand the, you now, yeah. Okay. So I just think an extension, especially if it's an overly long one, may interfere with your charger's ability to pick up the peak because maybe it's not reading the exact voltage of the battery because of the resistance of the wire. In my head, that's why I think I would not do it that way. Okay, well, I'm going to have to look into that because okay. uh, I was on, I ended up, I was on a, uh, well, and I've done this before and I've never had problems. So maybe it was just bad timing, bad luck or, or whatever, but uh I was on an 18-foot extension when I did. Well, you have to tell us what happened. <laughs> okay. You're, okay. Let, let's get back on the rails. Sorry. You're right. Um, okay. So I'm trying to cycle these uh, uh, NIMH batteries that are in this okay. airplane. Um, right. Like, like a I said before. Cell? Yeah. Well, it was a okay. uh, four-cell, but yeah. Okay. Um, so like I said before, the charger I have, you know, it discharges and charges up to five cycles. 
so I set it to discharge at half an amp and charge at half an amp. Um, it went through the first set of five cycles. It was, it was pretty fast. Um, but each time it put in about 100 milliamp hours and was taking out nearly zero. Actually, I think it might have been zero every mm-hmm. time. Um, so I started it over for another five cycles. Um, after that round, it was putting in about 200 milliamp, give or, out, or, give or take, uh, and still taking out, it was nearly zero, but most of the time it was, uh, you know, maybe 10 or 15 milliamp hours. Um, yes. But the numbers were climbing, so I didn't think anything about it. I started it again for its next five cycles, and within five minutes, I heard the charger beep. So uh, I went into the room it was charging in to kind of figure out what was going on. You know, it was it was in the room behind the wall, you know, how my basement's set up where I, where I charge right. and stuff versus where I work. Yep. Um, so when I looked at the charger, it said that there was a short. So I went over to the airplane to unplug the battery from the charger, and it had a Dean's connector on it is how they, uh, whoever had it before me, had that battery set up. Okay. Um, so when I grabbed the Dean's plugs to pull them apart, the leads came off the battery. Like oh, the actual, yeah, the actual wires that were soldered to the batteries came yes. just right off. Oh, the battery, had, yeah, the battery had overheated so much that the solder had liquefied and the leads pulled just free. Well, wow. at, at, at that point, my brain went into stupid again, and I just, like, <laughs> stared at it, dumbfounded, <laughs> trying to figure out what happened, you know, because it never happened to me before. Uh-huh. Well, then then I heard the magical hiss and saw the genie come out of the bottle. Yep. Now, uh-huh, I, I, mm-hmm. I, I don't think I've said this before, but the, the battery in that plane uh, was in foam and screwed in under a piece of light a light uh, light ply you know where the right. with the receiver zip tied to it mm-hmm. um so i at that point i can't see the battery and i'm i'm still confused you know it's a you an IMH battery <laughs> oh, i yeah, i could hear it if you can hear your battery <laughs> that's bad just saying for anyone who's listening <laughs> yeah, I could see the effects of the battery, um, but you know, it, it's an it's an NIMH battery. It, it these are supposed to be safe. It shouldn't happen, or it shouldn't happen with those. So then my mind right. starts wondering, you know, is it a lipo? You know, oh jeez, because once again, my my brain is still like in stupid mode. I haven't quite reconnected it, and I, I'm I'm trying to figure out like what to do. You know, I I felt the bottom of the airplane, uh, and it was pretty warm, not hot hot, but warm warm you know okay um and then another hiss and another puff of smoke so that's kind of when i figured out it might blow up and i better get it outside so i made a beeline upstairs through the garage and outside which (laughs) which is then unfortunately when i realized airplane (laughs) with a hissing airplane which is then uh when i i figured out it was raining outside so then i took it back into the garage um my 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 wife was actually out in in the garage cleaning out one of the cars and uh so i I set this airplane on the back of the golf cart and i told her if it caught on fire to throw it outside but by the look on her face i i don't know if she thought i was joking or not because i mean just that that look like what are you talking about what? So, what? Catch, what? What do you mean? If if what do you, what, what do you mean catch on, on fire? fire? Wait a minute. <laughs> so so I ran back downstairs so I could get a, a small screwdriver to uh, to get the battery out of there. Um, okay. So I, I got back up, got my screwdriver, and I was taking that little piece off so I could I could pull the 
that light ply, uh, you know, off that was holding it down. Mm-hmm. And then there was another hiss and another puff of smoke. The the bottom of the plane was like really getting hot. And yeah. after I got the yeah after I got the receiver out of the airplane, um, uh, the I, I took the foam out of the way, and I could see that there were four double A size batteries sitting in the bottom of the airplane. Uh, they were too hot to get out, so I asked my wife to run inside and get a pair of pliers, um, <laughs> you know, so I could take them out of the airplane. Okay, so then the genius that I am realized that I just had to turn the airplane <laughs> over and they would come out. So I, yeah, so I took it all, out. yeah. So I took it all outside in the rain and dumped them, <laughs> uh, dumped the batteries on the ground. They were hot. I mean, like they were oh, yeah. hot, hot, obviously. And I, sure. I dropped them in a puddle, and the water around them like instantly boiled, sizzled. You know, yeah, yeah. I could, I could barely make out. You know what kind of batteries they were, but I, you could just see on the side just tiny, tiny print that hadn't been messed up too much, um, that they were Energizer. Um, but really, by that point, they were they were mostly just like silver cans. So right. what hmm. what what did I do wrong? What what happened? Tell me. Well, I'm hard to say. It, it may You may not have done anything wrong. Um, well, that's that's what I'm thinking, but I'm I'm so confused by it. Well, so I have a story also. Um, so my my Kristen Eagle here, I it's electric powered, but I use a four cell receiver pack for the radio because the the battery is the lipo battery for this airplane is huge and scary to me. So I power the radio system with its own four cell NIMH battery. And so I acquired this airplane from a friend, you know, a couple of years ago, and I haven't actually I flew it when he owned it, um, but I haven't flown it in my ownership yet. So part of the spring process, you know, pull everything out. And this is one of those airplanes where the battery is not conveniently mounted. So it stays in the airplane. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, same thing, you know, I plugged it into my charger and uh, hit start. And it, and it almost immediately um, beeped at me, you know, low voltage input detected. It's like, okay, well, the NIMH, it self-discharged and now it's at zero. So... I did things a little bit differently. I, I don't want to get into it, but I I, I do what, what they call formation charging, which is on an NIMH, you can, especially when they're at low voltage, you can charge them at a really, really, really low amperage, uh, in this case, 200 milliamps, and you can leave them on that amperage for a really, really long time. And more or less what we're talking about is it sort of equalizes all four cells. Like, especially if the battery is completely dead or at least dead to the point where your charger won't recognize it as a battery and try to charge it. Mm-hmm. Um, you do this formation charge and it brings them up very, very slowly and evenly so that they're somewhat evenly matched. And then once that formation charge has taken place, it, it depends on the battery size and lots of other factors, but it takes a long time, 10 to 15 hours. Well, it's, it's essentially the same thing as plugging it in with the old school wall chargers. Remember those? Used to come yeah, the wall warts that, that it always took like 24 hours to charge a battery exactly. or something. Yeah. yeah, and that's about what those things put out was about 200 milliamps. Um, any rate, so I did that, and then I same thing as you you did. I was going to put some cycles on the battery to sort of you know wake it up, if you will. So I and so mostly so I could get a measurement to see where the battery was at capacity wise. Right. So same yeah. thing. My charger. I don't think it's five cycles. I think mine does. Uh, cycles of three. So okay. same thing, same thing, exact same thing, actually. Uh, 
it it cycled three times, and I think the most it ever really took out or put in was maybe 150 milliamps it would put in, and it would get like five out on the discharge cycle on each of those. Okay, so yeah. I did Sounds that, familiar. You know, yeah, exact exact same story. Um, where where my story differs is <laughs> after the first set of cycles and, and the battery's getting physically warm now, I'm like, okay, I think I'm going to stop there. So I unplugged the battery, took it out of the airplane, and threw it away. Um, my opinion is, like you said just a little bit ago, but these batteries are cheap. Um, so I'm not going to risk, you know, this airplane that, to me, I can't replace because it was given to me by a, you know, a, a very good guy who's no longer with us. Um, I don't want to risk the airframe to a, you know, a $10, $15 battery. So I'm just going to throw this thing away and I'll get a new one. And that's what I did. Um, if I can't get a battery to cycle in three cycles, then to me it's not worth the aggravation of trying to get it woke up and it possibly end up with a story like yours. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to have a story like mine again either. So so in, in my case, I don't feel like I was doing anything wrong. I, it, it just simply was, I believe, uh, you know, the battery was just done. Either Either one dead cell that was ruining the pack yeah, I probably could have, you know, taken the pack apart and found the dead cell and replaced it. But for $15 to me, or whatever the price of a four-cell NICAD is these days, it's cheap. Um, it just wasn't worth the aggravation to me. Yeah, and I so. and I definitely agree with that. Like, I I didn't think there was actually a battery in that airplane, so I wasn't planning on, on or, you know, I, I was planning on getting a battery for it. But when I saw there was one in there, I was like, okay, well, let's see if we can take a charge. No, I get it. The, yeah, the but numbers... after after the after the first ten cycles, since yours does two five round cycles, right? And you you run mm -hmm. your third one when right. it, when it went off. Correct. Yes. Yeah. After I, I would have given up after the first one, the first round. Oh really? <laughs> well, because that's just me though. Well, and and I and I don't know because I've I've had some before where I've done it, you know, fifteen times, and then those those numbers are are gradually growing and. And the the discharge is getting closer to the charge, and and that's why I kept going because the numbers were growing. But maybe I, no, I, I shouldn't have. So let me ask you this. Sure. So if in the back of your mind you knew that it took three cycles of five cycles each to wake this battery up and to get any kind of capacity out of it, how confident mm -hmm. would you be in putting that battery in, say, your P forty or some other you know really nice airplane? You'd be comfortable with that. If I got to the point after doing it several times like that and it was putting in 2,000 and taking out 1,950, yeah, absolutely. Hmm. Okay. Maybe that's the wrong answer. I don't know. I've, I've never been able to get one. I, I guess I've never been able to get one to come back like that. So I guess maybe my experience is different that way. Well, and it, it's I've not done it with a lot of them, you know, and I, I guess I've never started with one that was that low. Um but I, I have had several to where, you know, it'll put in 600 and take out 300. And then, you know, next time might be 800 and take out 600. And, and it'll work itself up, you know, yeah. over no, those, those 10 charge cycles. So, yeah. um, no, I got it. but yeah, it just, I, I guess I've never, I've never had one do that to me. And yeah. it's, it's an MI, or an NIMH battery that, that, that's supposed to be a safe battery. So I never it's even thought about yeah, I never even thought about it overheating like that. I didn't yeah. think to check the battery after after I charged it a few times. You know, I just 
continued right. on and, and started over again. I mean, it, it had yeah. some time in between when it was finished charging, you know, finished finished with its five cycles before I started the next five and so on. Um, but I just, I was, I was very surprised. You know, like yeah. the last battery I did this with, when I did the five cycles, I want to say it probably took, oh, it was well over 24 hours to charge and discharge that battery the five times. And, uh, well, that uh, that doesn't surprise me because if a battery is, you know, is good to go, um, it will take some time to take a proper charge and then to give yeah. you a proper discharge. So correct. The fact that it yeah. takes twenty four hours to do some cycles that's that's actually to me that would be a good sign because right. it should take some time. But yeah, no, I, I, I understand that. But like I said, that one was was getting better. It, it's not like it was the same numbers every single time I did it. So that's why I didn't okay. think anything of it. I just thought it was slowly coming back. But hmm. yeah, so it's scary. Oh, I guess it came I know. Back. <laughs> with the vengeance. So, with <laughs> So I know vengeance. it's off topic. It's not RC plane related, but back in the, you know, back in the in in my car racing days, RC car racing days, we used to use NIMH batteries and we used to I mean, really, honestly, we used to punish them. Like we had right. these trays that were designed to actually take these batteries down to nothing. Like it was a it was a tray. You sat the battery on, and it and it essentially short circuited every single cell, and made it such that it was completely zero voltage. And then we would bang these things at ten amps, you know, to get the <laughs> maximum amount of voltage. And on more than one occasion, I did have a cell vent on me. Now I never actually saw them smoke, but I you could definitely hear them hiss and pop and sizzle. Uh, but uh, and of course, you know when you when you've done that, you've done let the power out of the battery um but, well and it's yeah. it's possible the smoke i saw was the foam getting hot and being <laughs> melted right. and thrown up at me i don't know but i yeah i saw the smoke it's interesting and, that you said yeah. that um they, they they were energizers yeah are you sure they were nimhs i couldn't make it out honestly the I mean, all the all the stuff that was around it was uh i mean i know i know you know, Rayovac and Energizers. I know they. I know they make you know rechargeable batteries. I, I've seen them in the market, but it's just strange that that would be in an RC airplane because I've I've not seen a lot of people use Energizer brand stuff in their in their hobby quality airplanes. So, hmm. well, maybe that was. But there's no. I mean, it would have to have been. Do you think maybe it was a a NICAD or something? Then you mean? No, I, I'm wondering if it was an alkaline. There's no way it could have been an alkaline put in that plane the way it was. I mean, there's no, okay. I, I just, I can't imagine. You don't think somebody been... could have taken four alkalines and soldered them together into a cell, into a, a battery? I, I, well, I guess I can't say I don't think anything at this point because I have no clue what, you know, what somebody would do, but there's no I reason. Mean, I, to I don't know what would actually happen to a, to an alkaline if you try to charge it because I've never actually tried, so. I don't know. Maybe maybe they were, you know, the Energizer brand NICADs or NIMHs. I mean, I know they're out there, but I've I've never actually seen somebody use them in a in a model airplane. Well, and I, I don't know. Maybe I, I need to go look at them again because I I still have them. I haven't got rid of them yet. <laughs> uh, um, but it's I okay. Like I guess to me, if I was going to use alkaline batteries in a plane like that, first off, I wouldn't. But if I was going to, I would use one of those. Uh, 
uh, oh, the the battery holders that you can just you know put put them mm. in and out of instead of yes. actually soldering it because soldering like them together. Yeah. I've soldered uh, rechargeable batteries together before, but never you know never a, an alkaline. I, I just I wouldn't even think of that. So I don't know. Anything's yeah. possible. Maybe it's maybe it's on me and I shouldn't have done anything with that battery and that's why it, it hissed at me. But <laughs> maybe I'm not cursed. Well, I, I don't, don't know. I don't think you did anything wrong. I mean, your technique is is you know pretty much exactly how I would try to bring back an a, uh, an NIMH battery. So I don't I don't think you honestly I don't think you did anything wrong. I think maybe the battery was just done, or maybe it's the wrong type of battery. I'm not sure, but um, I don't I don't think it was anything that you did. You know, we we talked about this airplane before that I couldn't remember where it came from. Well, the guy that I got it from reached out to me and and said that. You know, it came from him, but he got it from somebody else and never did anything with it. And he had no clue, you know, where it came from beforehand. So, and that's, that's been several years ago. So who knows really what that battery was or, or who did stuff with it or, or what. So yeah, we'll just yeah. chalk it up as a uh, oopsie and, and move on, I guess. And, Ooh, and that's it never happens again. Yeah. yeah. So all yeah, right. that's that, that's all I have on battery stuff. So let's. Uh, you want to get on to uh, emails and and answer yeah, some let's questions? do that. I think uh, I think that'll be I think that'll be fun. Okay, so let's start with. Uh, so after our last episode, um, when I said four hundred foot is a is plenty high foot or feet four hundred feet, feet four hundred feet. So mm-hmm. uh, when I said four hundred feet is plenty high for flying RC airplanes. Uh, uh, a gentleman named Rick reached out to us and, and said that uh, sailplane operators everywhere, including himself, believe 400 foot feet, believe 400 feet as <laughs> low altitude. Um, I could see so that. I'm, yeah. Yeah. I'm not at all familiar with sailplanes. Um, I've never flown one before. Uh, so I had mm-hmm. no idea like it, how high they fly. Uh, so I yeah. asked him for some clarification and, uh, and I'll, I'll read his reply. He said, uh, he said, guys fly cross-country with binoculars and several spotters to 4,000 feet. Uh, oh the record is twice that. He said, I have caught Holy thermals cow. with my, yeah, he said, I've caught thermals with my four-meter ship sending uh, from 300 feet to 800 feet in an instant. Uh, large aircraft hmm. are not always hard to spot. You look at the way light reflects off of its wings. Uh, he said, you need a sailplane, bro. It will teach you so much about reading the air. Your normal RC skills will get tons better. So thank you, Rick, for the clarification. Uh, I can't imagine flying at 4,000 feet. Um, But his message did remind me that I have an old uh, uh, Hobby Lobby, uh, it's a 2,400-millimeter Super Daimona hanging from the ceiling of my shop uh, that I've never flown. Do Do you remember that one? Yeah, I do, actually. Yeah, I think you were with me. Yeah, you were actually with me at the uh, the swap meet when I bought it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like I said, I've never flown it. Um, I ended up just earlier today, did a little bit of research on it, and I think okay. I have everything I would need to get it flying. Um, oh, cool. So I might get that down and, and try and get it ready for its remade. Nice. Might be, might be kind of fun. Like I said, I've never flown a sailplane, and I don't know if that really fits his definition of sailplane but uh you know we'll see so i think definition of sailplane is is like any any aircraft that is not powered by some engine maybe huh oh well it is powered by an engine oh but you it you turn it off though right like yeah. once you it's it's not a it's not something you tow up to altitude and then off you go you have to actually climb up with power and then once you find your thermals and stuff and 
Yeah. Uh, off you go. Yeah. The so engine. it's uh when I looked it up, it has a 15 and a quarter ounce per square foot wing loading. Um, oh, that's and pretty it's, light. Yeah, and it's almost an eight foot wingspan. I think it's like 94 and a half inches. So, you know, it might be a fun little plane to try. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, I, I like you. I I don't uh, I don't know a lot about sailplanes, and it and unfortunately they're. Um, I mean, they are a good size segment of the hobby, but uh, unfortunately, I I don't own any, and I I know slope soaring is a thing too, and we do have places around. Like I think there's a place down in uh, southern Illinois where there's a, a pretty good contingent of slope soarers, but uh, um, yeah, it's a it's a segment I think that gets forgotten about a lot, uh, and that hey, you know, shouldn't because they're model airplanes too, and uh, yeah, they do <laughs> they do fly routinely. Um, yeah, 400 feet for them is is uh, child's play. Uh, I know one of our uh, one of our club members that has one of those. I think he calls it a motor glider. So it's a it's a glider, but has a motor on it that he can climb, and then he yeah, shuts okay. it off and tries to find sure. thermals and and that sort of stuff. And there's there's a real science to that. And I and I I agree with Rick. Owning one of these things probably probably will hone your uh, your RC skills. You know. Yeah, I'm all up for learning more and, and trying to get better at it. So yeah, mm-hmm. maybe I'll maybe I'll get that down and see what it's like. Hopefully yeah. it uh it'll maybe we both can learn with it. Yeah, I think that I think that'd be cool. So yeah, cool. So uh let's move on. All right. Um Oh, I'm so I'm gonna apologize now for not being able to pronounce the name correctly. So if I <laughs> if I'm if I'm really okay. off, I, I, I apologize. Um I think it's Ant Newham is uh is who wrote into us and he said you're doing a great job with the podcast enjoying the journey with you uh and looking forward to what the future brings you have one happy listener from Australia That's awesome. Right. So <laughs> Ant if I'm saying that right please uh you know thanks for the feedback uh if I really butchered your name I'm sorry reach out let me know how to say it and I will definitely correct yes. it on a on a future Smack episode. us verbally. <laughs> But be nice, because you know I'm sorry I didn't do it on purpose. Well, so yeah, yeah. Thanks for reaching out to us. That's uh, I think it's awesome that uh, people as far away as Australia are actually listening to us ramble on. Uh, I think that's fantastic. Uh, hopefully, uh, the stuff we talk about is uh, is universal in its language. Hopefully, mm-hmm. uh, so if you're listening, yeah. you know, obviously in English. Hopefully, a lot of the anecdotal type stuff we talk about translates. <laughs> yeah, and the dialect and all that, but yeah. well, that too. Yeah. So cool. So yeah. So right. next we have. Uh, hey, do you mind? Do you mind if I read Andy's? Uh, no. This sure. one. This one really kind of, kind of hit me. Um, I'll just go ahead and uh, read it. Andy says, um, "Hi, just wanted to say thanks to you both. Uh, I love listening to you guys. I'm hoping to get back into the hobby this year, coronavirus permitting. Uh, having suffered a nervous breakdown from 20 long years uh, in a stressful industry." Uh, your guys' calm approach is helping get my confidence back to start flying again. Thank you so much all the way from the UK. The podcast has had a huge positive impact on me. Uh, stay safe and good luck with your futures. Uh, yeah, so I just I just want to say, uh, Andy, thanks uh, for that. Uh, that That is, uh, in a nutshell, it is why, why I've been doing this, I think, so long. You know, we talked about what keeps us going in the hobby. And, yeah, you know, like I, like I said in the last episode, you never know when you're going to make a great memory. Um, and that, and it, you know, and how, how this hobby is kind of therapy, uh, you know, for, for a lot of us. 
Uh, so, so his his words really kind of stuck with me, and I'm I'm really thankful that uh, that stuff that we, you know, take for granted even uh, can can impact someone in in that way. Uh, so, yeah. Andy, thanks for reaching out to us. Uh, appreciate that. Yeah, the, this hobby can be very soothing and relaxing. Um, you know, it does have stresses that that, that come with it, but uh, but still, it's a great hobby, and I love it. Um, so Andy, if you get back into it, uh, send us some pictures of your first flight and let us know how it goes. Uh, good yeah, luck. I'd love you, know, to you, hear you, it. you got this. This is, uh, you can do it. So, oh yeah. 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 Thanks for reaching out. Yeah. So yeah, this, this, uh, this next email was, was perfectly timed. Um, cause it, cause it showed up in our inboxes. Um, actually I think maybe even the day that you and I decided that we were going to record, <laughs> uh, the intermediate airplane episode. Uh, yeah. So if you don't mind, I'll go ahead and read it. It says, Gary yeah. says, uh, Ron and Tom just wanted to tell you how much I've been enjoying the show. Uh, I have been in and out of the RC space for 30 plus years, but had never built or flown a plane successfully until a couple of weeks ago. Uh, the irony is that I'm a private pilot, he says. Uh, my history with RC planes has been marred with bad choices of aircraft, <laughs> too small or too fast, uh, flying fields, too small, and equipment. Uh, Pennywise Pound Foolish. Uh, after your beginner plane episode, I bought an E-Flight Apprentice STS trainer, and it has been magnificent. Uh, I have worked my way from the beginner setting to the advanced setting in just a couple of weeks, and I'm excited for my next plane. Uh, I haven't heard you cover the intermediate airplanes. Is that a topic you guys can squeeze in before I do something stupid and buy a 60-millimeter EDF uh, F-18? Um, anyway, he says the show has been very timely for me as I have learned a lot from both of you. Uh, the transmitter and pre-flight shows were especially helpful. Uh, before my second flight, I realized one of my aileron connectors had come loose. And thanks to you, I figured that out before I took off. Thanks, Gary. So yeah, we did cover the, uh, intermediate airplanes, uh, a couple weeks ago and hopefully we had some usable information for Gary. Yeah, that's awesome. I've heard several times that being an actual, uh, like full size pilot, does not help with learning to fly RC airplanes, which is which is kind of funny. I never really thought about it, mm -hmm. um, but being like an RC pilot does help when learning or like when transitioning uh, to a, a full size aircraft. I guess there's yeah. something difficult about trying to figure out the reverse controls when the the plane is coming at you. Uh, as opposed to when you're actually sitting in the seat. I can actually talk about that just a little bit. Um, yeah. You know, way back when I had, you know, I I actually possess a, you know, a, a license, uh, and I do have some time in a Cessna 150. Um, so I do know, and and the difference is is that that seat-in-the-pants feeling. Um, so when, when you're flying a model, uh, you don't have that seat-of-the-pants, you know, you don't have that, that uh, equilibrium uh, sensation, you know, by, you know, when you, when you roll yeah. left or roll right, or if the airplane is slipping, you don't have that sensation. All you have is a visual reference. So that's, that's sort of the big difference. Um, so flying a full size airplane, those are the sort of input that you, that you become accustomed to. And that's how you sort of tailor your reaction to how the airplane is flying. And you have to you have to learn it all over again when you're flying a model. And you know, really, the only thing that helps going from full size to to uh, uh, models is just basically an understanding of of lift and how to control it. Uh, as far as the physical flying of the airplane, yeah, it's it's a whole different 
completely different process. So yeah, you're, you're learning to fly again, essentially, when you go from full size to small size. So it's, it's basically the same thing, but nowhere close. Right. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And, and that makes sense. I mean, you don't have that, the physical feedback, you don't have the feeling that you get, I guess, when you're flying an actual airplane, um, or I'm sorry, when you are flying an actual airplane, you have that and you don't with the RC airplane. So yeah, that, yeah. that makes a lot of sense to me. And it's yeah. uh, hopefully and you touched one of these on it too I'll... with the reversed controls when it's coming at you. That, that's a, that's a hard thing to get past too. Yeah. I, I still think starting out with RC cars is kind of an easier way of, of learning, you know, with that, because it's, it's the steering, you're not worried about up or down, but you're still oh, learning the right. steering left and right. Yeah. Because, yeah, it's yeah. completely backwards when it's coming at you is, is when it's going away from you. So, mm-hmm. yeah. But, uh, yeah, so those are just a, a few of the messages we've received uh, that, you know, we wanted to share. Uh, I mm-hmm. love the reach this podcast has. I, I We've had, you know, so many uh, – or we've had feedback from so many different countries, and I, I definitely wasn't expecting that when we started this. So Right. Um, I, I, yeah, it's, I love it's amazing to me Keep them coming. how – yeah, how far uh, – how far out – uh, just, it, it's amazing to me that people in Australia are actually listening, listening to this podcast. I think that's, I think that's wonderful. And, and, <laughs> and that, I think that just goes to show you how, how sort of universal the hobby is. Like, yeah, we may fly different branded equipment or yeah, we may fly, you know, uh, Fox engines here. What, maybe not Fox anymore, but, uh, and they fly, you know, something different Taipan or whatever over there. But in the end it's it's really the same and it and kind of brings us all together and i think that's i think that's really cool yeah i think so too so now let's move on to uh to a few listener questions okay um i will read this one and then you can reply to it so <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> james asks he says i have a hangar 9 15cc carbon cub and was wondering if you could recommend a size nitro engine that would be good for that size plane well sure i can so <laughs> nitro the, engine uh, right up your alley. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, so the Hangar 9 15cc carbon cub, in case anyone is not familiar with the airplane, uh, I looked up the specs. I don't own one, but I looked up the specs. Uh, weighs about 11 and a half pounds, got a 90 inch wing. Uh, so that gives it, you know, and the wing area is whatever it is. And it's about a 22 um, ounce per square foot wing loading at 11 and a half pounds. So, Which, by the way, that airplane is bigger than I thought it was. I don't yeah. know why I didn't realize it was as big as it is. Yeah, it's a pretty it's a pretty good size airplane. It's light for its size, but it's it's a big airplane. Yeah. Um, so having said that, those are the details. Um, me personally, uh, so I like two strokes. Uh, obviously, it's uh, kind of what makes me tick. And given that size airplane at that weight and the and kind of the um, the desired prop size that would fit that scale, if you will, of an airplane. I would say a, a good 90 size two stroke motor uh, would, would fly it really, really nice. Um, you know, I, I don't think OS makes the 91 two stroke anymore. I think their AX is uh, maxed out at the 75, I think now, but um, lots of good 91s out there on the second hand market. Um, so the OS 91 or any of those 91 clones that were made by ASP Magnum, I think Thunder Tiger also made, made one. Um, but any of those, I think, would be a great fit. Uh, that engine, you know, a good 91-size two-stroke uh, turning a 15-6 prop would, would really make that airplane perform. 
Um, however, it would be hard to beat the sound of a good, big, thumping four-stroke in that bad boy. Um, I mean, a cub, it should have a four-stroke. It should sound <laughs> like an airplane. So yeah, uh, for that, I'd have to say a 120 size turning that 15.6 prop would be would be a pretty good combination. Um, the new Sato 125 would be would be like the perfect setup for that airplane, I think, uh, turning a 16.8. So, so that's kind of what I would recommend uh, for that particular airplane. Cool. Okay, so next we have, uh, Hi, Ron and Tom. Congratulations for the podcast. I'm writing to ask you guys to talk about a subject I've never understood. It's about the use of real redundancy systems powering receivers like the Wolverine switch from Fromco. Did I say that right, Fromco? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What exactly is it for? Is it also a voltage regulator? Is it worth using these devices and models powered with gas engines? Uh, thanks a lot for your advice. Gino Gennaro, RC airplane hobbyist from Sao Paulo, Brazil. Brazil. That's awesome. It's so awesome that you know, right. so many locations are listening. So, Gino, thanks for thanks for uh, writing us. Um, so I'll just touch on redundancy. Um, so the 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 um, the purpose of redundancy, at least in full scale aircraft, is to have um, uh, having an identical system to cover a potential failure of any primary system needed for safety of flight. For example, um, yeah, the the battery maybe that the airplane runs off of, uh, the magnetos that are used to fire the ignition on the engine, um, the radios that are used to communicate, you know, with uh, with tower and other airplanes. Um, instruments, for example, like the altimeter, there's usually two of them in the airplanes in case one of them fails. You have some redundancy to cover you in that uh, in that condition. So, and we can use redundancy in model airplanes too. Specifically speaking, um, we'll use it um, for for traditionally we we just we do redundancy with the with the power. So you can run multiple you know batteries powering your radio. But you can also use redundant switches, and um, if some guys on the more expensive airplanes, they'll even use redundant receivers. Um, I'm not going to get into that. That's a that's a fairly involved topic with the with receivers. But you know, multiple switches. So a switch is is a mechanical, right? It's it's a metal contacts that you slide from one position to another, and it relies on that mechanical um, friction, if you will, or contact of those metal plates or or bars. Um, and every mechanical switch has a it has a lifespan. You know, that's for example, let's say it has a a, a lifetime cycle capacity of nine thousand cycles. So, um, sometime within that lifespan of that switch, that switch is going to fail because that's what they tell you. That's what its lifespan is. Hopefully, it fails at the end of that, and and not at the beginning or at the middle. <laughs> but but you never truly know when that switch is going to fail. So having a second one not a bad idea to cover you in the event that that thing should happen to fail. And, you know, the chances of both of those switches failing at exactly the same time is pretty astronomical. So um, that's why we use redundancy to, to protect us in, in situations where, you know, we, we may have a, a primary system failure. Um, so specifically the, the Wolverine switch, um, its purpose is to provide a convenient solution for multiple power input or redundant batteries for your radio. Um, no, it's not a regulator. Uh, it can be customized from Promico for your particular uh, setup. So it means you, know, you can have 
two batteries in with three inputs out and when or three outputs, excuse me. Um, and we we kind of touched on it in our receiver episode. You know, the receivers, at least Spectrum anyway, um, which is what I'm familiar with, you can power that receiver through any of those inputs. So you can take two batteries and plug them into two different ports, and now you have redundancy. If one of those batteries fails, the other one is there to back it up. Um, and then you can apply the same logic to switches. And that's what the Wolverine switch does. It takes two batteries, keeps them independent, uh, provides multiple outputs to give you redundancy to your receiver. So it's not a regulator. Um, so you still, you know, if you're using high voltage batteries on a system that's not designed to use high voltage, you still need to use a regulator. Um, but basically the, the Wolverine switch is a, is a, uh, is the same thing as their Badger switch, except it's, 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 you know, dual input, whereas the Badger is just a single input, if that makes sense. Yeah. So this, this kind of goes back to what I was talking about in our last episode, um, at least I think it was the last episode where I was talking about needing to be okay with losing your airplane when you fly it. Um, <laughs> right. So while the redundant systems help minimize the risk, there's always that unfortunate possibility that something will happen. Um, yes. So I have a, a SmartFly Power System EQ6 Turbo Plus in my Yak. Um, and the That's reason I got it, yeah, I know. It, I, hmm, you can say that again. <laughs> um, but so the reason I got it was because I had the problem with it uh, with the airplane and it, it browned out and I almost crashed. You know, I was told mm -hmm. by the guy that owned it before that the airplane had successfully flown simply using a receiver with voltage regulators and matchboxes. But as soon as I started flying with a little bit, uh, with a, with more aggressive, uh, movements, the electronics just couldn't keep up. Um, so what that does is it, it, it's very handy in the fact that it takes all the power away from the receiver. So the receiver is not handling any of the power uh, distribution whatsoever. That's all run through the board. Um, right. So um, it's it's worth using um, these kind of things, especially on airplanes you consider to be expensive or difficult to replace. Um, you know, with, with the redundant power supplies, no matter the engine type, whether it's gas or... Um, um, gas or nitro, it's a good idea to have some redundancy on a plane that right. you have a lot tied up in and that yep. you don't want to, uh, well, you don't want to crash. I mean, yeah, you know, exactly. it, it's, you want to protect your investment, uh, as well as you can. So yeah, it's a little bit more expensive, but it's kind of a, a little bit more insurance to make sure that you have a redundant, uh, power supply or, or running things a little bit differently to make it easier on the electronics. Yeah. I hope yep. that made sense. I don't, I don't know if I rambled a little too much. But. No, no, that uh, that that's exactly exactly what uh what uh, yeah the point I was trying to make is it's definitely worth using this technology on on an airplane you find to be valuable you know or difficult to replace. So no matter what engine is on it. So yeah, I think I think we all probably have at least one airplane that we really value. Oh sure. Just, not necessarily like money wise, but that we just have a soft spot for that we want to make sure doesn't get messed up. Um, yeah. And by using redundancies and, and all that in it, then you're just kind of setting yourself up, uh, hopefully with backups, so that something doesn't happen. Like with the 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 SmartFly switch I have in my Yak too, um, like the power switches and stuff are are fail safe switches where they fail safe to on. So if something happens right. with the switch. 
you know, a lot of times with mechanical switches, you have to slide that over to turn them on. Right. Um, and then that's what makes the connection. Well, if there's anything that happens and uh, and that switch breaks, then it will turn off. So it's it's default state with those switches is off. Whereas like with fail safe switches, they they default to on if anything goes wrong with them. Um, that way you right. don't lose power and you don't have a, have an issue when you're flying. Right. Yep. So yeah, yeah like exactly. I said, I, that's I, I the hope definition that makes sense. of a fail safe switch. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. It fails so, in its safe mode. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Gino, thanks for the thanks for the question. Hopefully, we were able to uh, do that justice. Um, if we didn't, you know, let us know. <laughs> we'll yeah, try we'll, again. We'll clarify. <laughs> it made it made sense in my head. So yeah, me too. But I don't know if it did to anybody else. <laughs> yeah, right. So uh, we have one more question. Uh, okay. This listener wanted to remain anonymous, which is fine. Okay. If you have questions, just tell yeah, us. No you don't worries. want your name read. Um, but they want to know how long nitro fuel lasts. Uh, and that's actually that's actually a good question because a I very have good a can. Question. Uh, I have a can sitting over here that's probably four years old, okay. um, and I was not sure if I should use that or or not. So um, mm-hmm. let me know. Well, so what I would say, when stored properly, uh, our our model engine fuel can can last quite a long time. Actually, um, you know, it's the the primary ingredient is methanol, which is alcohol, and uh, as everyone may or may not know, alcohol attracts moisture or water. And yes, that's essentially it is hydroscopic. What makes it, yeah, exactly. And that's what renders it, you know, I don't want to say useless, but useless. You know, when you get water in your fuel, it tends to not do the things it's supposed to do. So um, storing it properly will definitely prolong its life. And to do that, um, so there's, you know, a couple of different things you need to remember. Um, plastic jugs, even though they hold our liquid without leaking, they actually are porous uh, on a microscopic level. Um, water and moisture can actually permeate through the plastic jug, uh, rendering our fuel useless. Uh, so to help uh, avoid, you know, to help keep that from happening, obviously you want to try to store it in a dry place. Um, and, and most importantly is don't store it sitting on a concrete floor. Um, because there's moisture in concrete, and it will seep over time through that jug, and uh, you know, and, and ruin your fuel. Uh, so, and then also, you know, store it tightly capped. Most of these plastic jugs are shipped with a uh, like a plug in them under the mm-hmm. cap. Uh, yeah. So if you know you're going to store your fuel for some time, go ahead and reinstall that plug and te- you know, and cap it tightly. You know, the more moisture we can keep out of that, the longer it'll keep. So. So with the exception of moisture, though, it, it really doesn't, uh, it doesn't go bad over time. It doesn't break no. down? Nope, not at all. Now, some lubricants will sort of separate out um, over time, and I, and, I, and I can't remember which one it is. It's either castor or synthetic blends that, that do that, um, and I can't remember which. But, you know, ideally... We're not storing fuel over the over the winter because we've flown so much that we burned it all, <laughs> you know, during the flying season. Um, and I just want to say, metal cans tend to fare better over time because they they don't allow moisture into the fuel, and that's really the only thing that that renders our fuel unusable is the amount of moisture that that makes its way into it. So anything you can do to prevent that will make that fuel last a good long time. And Having said that, if you have fuel that's questionable, 
you're not going to do your engine any damage, really, if you try to run it. Um, obviously, you don't fly until you've, you know, made sure that it's going to be a reliable fuel. But, you know, put a tank of it in an airplane and, and run it on the ground. And if it runs good on the ground, chances are it's probably going to run good in the air. So, um, you know, it's not like you're going to hurt anything unless it's straight water. Then, yeah, you want to, <laughs> you don't want to go dumping that into your airplane. But, um, if it's questionable, put a tank of it um, in the airplane, fire it up. If it runs good, then you're probably okay. Um, I mean, I've got some fuel down here that I've had. Oh gosh, uh, <laughs> I have a I have a YS blend down here from VP uh, that I've had for quite. I don't even own a YS anymore, <laughs> and uh, I've had this fuel a good long time, and I use it in all my four strokes. So. So Still if you good. have if you have like a brand new bottle then and you don't have mm-hmm. it stored on concrete then you you pretty much especially if it's in a metal can mm-hmm. you're good no matter what. I think so, yeah. I mean, I I have yet to now granted I I don't I don't keep fuel around a very very long time, but I've never had to throw fuel away. How's that? <laughs> and I've had some fuel around a long time. <laughs> many <laughs> many years, huh? Yeah. Well, this so. VP stuff, it, it comes in a steel can, and I keep it tightly capped when I'm not, you know, planning on using it. And I'm pretty sure that I could probably pull the cap off of this and fire up this uh, this twist with the old Thunder Tiger 91, and I bet it would run just fine. <laughs> so, but yeah, fuel, fuel will keep a long time if you keep the moisture out of it, bottom line. Good to know. So mm-hmm. that brings us to the end of our questions. Okay. Um, is there anything else you want to cover? Uh, no, I just, uh, you know, one last time, I want to thank everybody uh, who uh, who wrote to us, emailed us, or messaged. Um, I appreciate it. I, I, I love the feedback, uh, good yeah. or bad. You know, if there's stuff that uh, we're doing that you don't like, you know, don't be afraid to, to let us know. Yeah, um, absolutely. I mean, we want, to make, we want to make the show better because we want you guys to listen and we want you to have your friends listen to us too. It's just, uh, it's very rewarding when I, when I get the or when I see the emails that people from Australia and Brazil and all these other places, UK, are listening to us, I think that's I think that's really really neat. <laughs> yeah, not to minimize the all of the Canadian listeners. Oh yeah, absolutely. And, and the, those are just the ones uh, the that United the, States the, listeners and yeah, stuff. The, absolutely, the we we get a lot up. of those. Yeah, but yeah, correct. So, uh, but yeah, I just wanted to thank everybody for for listening. I think I think it's really neat that uh, that people actually find what we talk about interesting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that is true. We we have a, a great audience, really. So, um, yep. don't forget to tell your friends about us. Uh, let's get some more. Let's get a bigger audience. Let's get some more people yeah. listening. So, uh, oh hey, by the way, I wanted to mention um, on our swag, um, you can actually buy face masks with our logo on it. Did you know that? <laughs> I did. Yes. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ordering yeah. one tonight. I'm just saying. <laughs> Well, hopefully we won't need them much longer, but yeah, you're probably probably well, good to order some. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I'm wondering they may they might make a pretty decent dust mask. You know, when I'm down here sanding on my balsa airplanes, that's a good idea. Actually, I'm just yeah, saying. I'm just saying there's more uses than you know than just trying to prevent the COVID. Yeah, there is nothing worse <laughs> than that cough you get after after you sand a wing. <laughs> and you know, the older I get, the worse it gets. So anyway, yeah, and you just, and you are getting old, so that's uh, going to be yeah, really yeah, bad. Yeah. <laughs> right. Anyway. So anyway, that's that's all I've got. 
All right, me too. So uh, everybody, thanks for listening. And uh, until next time, I'm Ron. And I'm Tom. Good night. Good night. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the RC Plane Lab podcast. For topic suggestions, to ask questions, or to give any feedback, connect with us at rcplanelab.com or email us direct at either ron at rcplanelab.com or tom at rcplanelab.com. You can also text us or leave us a voicemail at 818-351-9846. Please subscribe, rate, and review us on your favorite podcast app. Until next time, may your landings be gentle.